Hello, hello. Happy holidays, everybody. Hello. Welcome back to our podcast, Gimme the Creeps. We have a very special two-part episode series going on, and I'm going to let you all know right now, this first part will be up as usual, and part two will be up on Monday. I repeat, part two will be up on Monday. I will make a post on Instagram about it. As you know, next week is Christmas, so we're going to take a little break um, in terms of recording and putting out an episode for next Friday. So I have my episode split into two. Here we go. Here we go. Yeah, I didn't even write an introduction really or anything because this is intense. I'm very excited for today's episode, guys. Uh, let's see if anybody can can guess just by the year alone as I get started here. So <clears throat> let me set the, the setting up here. Bill Clinton is in his second term as president. OJ was acquitted last year. Princess Diana and Prince Charles get divorced. And Tickle Me Elmo is flying off the shelves. Any guesses yet? Pretty generic. Mm, 95. Very close. Very, very close. The tabloids are getting their gears oiled up because guess what? After OJ's trial, it's realized that the 24-hour news coverage is the best invention ever. World News covers the terrorist attacks and bombings. The Olympics are held in Atlanta in the U.S. this year. And Wannabe by the Spice Girls is their first hit. Oh my god, it's 7.97. No, you were closer You were closer the first time. So it's 96. Damn it. And ooh. Guess what, Daniela? This is the year one of our favorite movies came out, The Birdcage, starring oh Robin God. Williams and Nathan Lane. So it's a great year. It's shaping up. I mean, the violence around the world is, you know, global at all times, no matter what the year is. But yeah, it's a pretty, it's it's very fun, fancy free 1996. On a smaller scale, let's move our attention to one family's life. John and Patricia Ramsey have a nice and cozy upper middle class lifestyle with parties, friends, and two kids who are involved in different activities to shape their young minds. In a wealthy neighborhood, we find the Ramsey family of Boulder, Colorado. Peaceful and safe, but this family will be thrown into the tabloids for years to come, forever changing the face of true crime as we realize that all it takes to drive a nation insane with conspiracy theories is a murdered child pageant queen on the cover. Oh my god. So, stay tuned as we discuss the life and mysterious unsolved murder of John Benet Ramsey. Dun dun. Oh fuck. Yeah. For real. How the fuck what? does it go SVU? <laughs> oh, you know what? It's been forever since I I got what you were doing though. I get it. I need to it's play it. I need to find the sound bit really quick. Just Good, and I'll just replace it. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> if it's like so far off. Oh yeah, it definitely is gonna be. <laughs> I don't. I don't know. I have no clue. <laughs> um, oh, there it is. There it is. Okay, ready? Yes. Yes. Dun, dun. It was. Oh, I yeah. guess it was done. Done. Okay. Yeah, you did it actually pretty accurately. Woo, guys, this one's going to be a doozy. So strap in, get a snack. Um, if you're at work, you know, do your best to not get too distracted. The details are going to be flowing, probably repeated more than once, but it's a two-parter. So let's jump right in. Patricia Ann Pogg was born on December 29th, 1956 in Gilbert, West Virginia to Donald Ray Pogg and Nidra Ellen Ann. 
Her father was an engineer and a manager at Union Carbide, and her mother was a homemaker. She has two sisters, Pamela and Paulette, and she was very popular in high school and had aspirations of becoming a journalist and eventually a public figure. She won the Miss West Virginia title in 1977 when she was 21 and enrolled in West Virginia University. Her sister also won a beauty pageant. Pamela won Miss South Charleston at age 24 in 1980. Patsy, or Patricia as we know her, was in the Alpha Psi Delta sorority and kept an outgoing spirit about her as she pursued her BA in journalism. I wonder if she had people start calling her Patsy in college or like much later down the line, I wonder. I think it was down the line. That's cute. But then again, it's like the 80s, so like there's a lot of Betsy's and you know what I mean? Yes. Tanya's. Very cutesy yeah. names. I like it. I've never heard a Patricia nicknamed Patsy. It's always like Patty, Patty. or Trisha. Yeah. Anyways, very cute. Have I been the only one seeing the debutante TikToks? Have you seen any of those yet? I have not. I didn't know those were a thing. I didn't either. I really hadn't thought about those being a thing since I saw She's the Man. Oh, yeah. That's so weird. I just <laughs> said debutante, like, oh, we didn't we didn't leave it in the episode. <laughs> oh, but I, yeah, you did. You, I remember. I remember. Yeah, you used the term. Weird? Oh, my that God. is very, what a weird coincidence. Maybe the TikTok heard my app or heard you and was like, Ooh. oh, debutante, see or it's just the time of season. So anyways, if you guys is know it? what I'm talking about, uh, it might be. I oh, think so. I think it's like um, just like pageant season is a thing. Olympics have seasons or whatever. I, I don't know. It depends on the state. I am not familiar with that kind of background. I'm, I'm wondering if anybody is familiar with it. It's pretty wealthy of a hobby because it's, mm-hmm. you know, I have to buy expensive dresses. Anyways, I've been, I just thought I'd mention that because on TikTok, I've been getting a lot of the debutante. TikToks. Anyways. <clears throat> so her sister won Miss South Charleston in 1980, but guess what else happens this year? Patsy takes a rain check on her career because she meets John Ramsey. Her plans changed after she meets wealthy and successful businessman John Ramsey. He's pretty much well established at this point, so she settled down at the ripe age of 23. So John Bennett Ramsey, which I love that name, Bennett. That's such a nice name. Was born on December 7th, 1943 in Nebraska. His father, James Dudley, served in World War II as a pilot and is a decorated veteran. His mother, Mary Jane, like that's my favorite name, was a homemaker. I read somewhere that when his mother passed away, his father got remarried to his grandmother, though. So that's a little bit. Yeah, so he had a grandma slash stepmom. <laughs> That's <laughs> But, I mean, you know, there were different times then. I don't know. Oh, oh no. <laughs> <laughs> so there's that. Anyway, so John went to Okemos, Okemos High School in Michigan and went on to graduate from MSU in 1966 with a bachelor's degree in electrical engineering. He went on to receive a master's in business administration from MSU in 1971. He joined the Navy, I think, or um, the military. I think it's the Navy, but he joined the military in 1966 as a civil engineer corps officer in the Philippines for three years and then an additional eight years in an Atlanta reserve unit. 
John Ramsey worked as a CEO of a computer services company, Advanced Product Group, in 1989. This company merged with two others to become Access Graphics, a computer services company and a subsidiary of Lockheed Martin. So John is sitting pretty now because um, he's just been working and saving his money, making the right money moves. And now that he's the president and chief executive officer of this company, he's just enjoying life. He had three children from his previous marriage to a woman named Lucinda Posh. And he's reaching the top business-wise after marrying Patsy and starting a family. And it's really looking like he has it all. The year is 1996. And it was already a good one for this family, but wait, Axis Graphics has grossed over $1 billion for the year and for the first time in their company's history. And John is named Entrepreneur of the Year by Boulder Chamber of Converse. Converse? Commerce, dear Lord. Too much coffee. So after getting married on November 5th, 1980, I'm guessing they had some time to enjoy each other's company and grow John's business because Burke didn't come along until 1987. Burke Ramsey was born on January 27th, 1987, not long after followed their daughter, born August 6th, 1990 in Atlanta, Georgia, a hybrid of her father's name, John Benet, Patricia Ramsey, is soon to take over her mother's desire for the crown in beauty pageants everywhere. So she has her father's two names as her first name and her mother's first name as her middle name. Very cute. And in 1993, Patsy is diagnosed with ovarian cancer. And um, she went through treatment and was in remission for years after that. So that, that was nice. Um, they were probably very grateful for that. And as she gets older, Mrs. Ramsey sees some potential in Jean Bonnet. And whether it's her mother's dreams being lived out through her daughter or simply loving the spotlight, she was a little firecracker, and Jean Bonnet certainly took over the stage. Did you ever watch Toddlers and Tiaras? Um, I think I watched like an episode or two, but I didn't I wasn't really like I didn't get into it or anything. Right. Yeah, I didn't really keep up too much with it either. I had a short stint of watching that with my mom whenever we would watch TLC, but I remember the biggest thing that bothered us, next to the perverts that might have been in the audience, um, of course, mm -hmm. was the bribery that the moms would use to make their daughters like do things, like wear their flippers. Um, flippers are tiny fake teeth that children wear. Oh, Yeah. Um, pretty creepy. I mean, she's six. She's going to be missing teeth, That's but they'd where... rather put uh, fake teeth in to give, yeah, her, give the illusion. Really weird. <laughs> but that's where Honey Boo Boo came from, right? Yes. Um, and she wouldn't wear hers, I don't think. So she was. She had her own little spunk. I don't think Honey Boo Boo followed in the... Uh, well, clearly, she didn't really follow the guidelines that everyone else seemed to be following. Yeah. So that's how she really um, broke out into her own her own little show. But yeah, so anyway, so she's described as a loving and kind child, full of energy, and by age six, she had already won multiple titles. According to Bustle.com, Jean Bonnet took home the crown for Little Miss Colorado, Little Miss Charlevoix, Colorado State All-Star Kids, Cover Girl, America's Royale Miss, and National Tiny Miss Beauty. That sounds so cute. And it wasn't well known until after her death, but she was also crowned Little Miss Christmas the year that she was killed. Oh, no. I know. And, well, her parents obviously would want the public to know that she was more than just pageants. It was a fact that the media just mainly used her pageant photos 
during the investigation and on the tabloids and stuff, it just got so much attention. The photos themselves were probably so expensive to get a hold of. Um, but her dad describes her as being an active, almost tomboy. I don't like using those terms anymore. I feel like it's so outdated. But she would play with Burke, you know, scra scrape her knees outside. She wasn't just, you know, a grown woman at the age of six. Yeah. So she loved hiking and playing outside, and he saw her as a kid, no glittering gowns or big hair, just a ponytail, shorts, and a t-shirt. And as we discussed, things are going well in life for this family as John gets Entrepreneur of the Year, and the holidays are coming up. Patsy's in remission. It's, um, she had stage four ovarian cancer, so it's just, it's time to celebrate. It's time to just unwind and let loose. And Patsy happens to be turning 40 this year and loves a good party. So celebrating her 40th, Patsy had um, her home nice and decorated. She apparently, you know, she did this every year, but I think she was really trying to celebrate her birthday too this year. So she went all out and we're talking multiple grand Christmas trees in each room, I'm guessing. And she had um, a theme for each tree. So super, oh, super into it. I think that's so cute, but a lot of work, geez. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> um, be like, dang, the cowboy theme ornaments are with the damn spooky ornaments over here. <laughs> anyway, so um, on Christmas Day, Jean Bonnet and the family opened presents, and later in the day, they were outside riding bikes, playing with their gifts. The two children were just enjoying their Christmas Day, and later on, they went to a friend's house for dinner. The next day, they were going to take a trip to Michigan to have a post-Christmas get-together with friends and family, and um, they had their plans all laid out for the for that day. So they get home to get ready for bed, but Jean Benet has fallen asleep in the car, so they carried her to bed, set their alarms for the morning, and went to sleep. That's the general idea of what went on. Mm-hmm. But like I said, we're going to be repeating details as we find out more. So... The morning of the 26th, Patsy is the first one to wake up in the household. She is headed down the spiral staircase to make some coffee when she sees something strange. There on the steps, a little ways down, are three pieces of paper. And from there, chaos and mistake-making ensues. Mrs. Ramsey skimmed the note, and words that stood out were obviously, We've got your daughter. And I'll read the full note later, but once she saw that, I'm sure she flew into a frenzy. She says she rushes to John Bonet's room and opens the door. She rushes to Burke's room to see if she's in there. And I'm unclear if it's a typical thing that John Bonet ends up in Burke's room or if they share a room or I just didn't clarify that. And it's been a long time since I had first looked at this case. So I'll just go ahead and say that um, she, for some reason, goes to Burke's room and looks waking Burke up and he just goes back to sleep. And then after she realizes Jean Benet is nowhere to be found where she should be, I guess, then she, um, she sees she's missing and screams for John. According to them, all of this happened very quickly. So she screams for John and then calls 911 immediately after. And the call is made at 5.52 a.m. And the police arrive at 5.55 a.m. And okay, get this. Even with the police there, they begin calling over their friends, believing it was appropriate and wanting to help the friends show up, and they read the ransom note, and they walk through the house. Oh my fucking god. 
Yeah. So it's already, it's already just a mess. I mean, to be fair at this point, you know, to give them the benefit of the doubt, they don't really know that it's a crime scene, but if there's some kind of intruder situation, they still shouldn't be walking in and out of the house. Right. But I think it, a lot of, well, it was the nineties. I'm not sure, but like a lot, I feel like a lot of it had to do with, they were rich. So the cops. Oh, they're not going to say, right. I know. It's like, oh, our friends had nothing to do with it. So if they touch, they're just going to be like cleared anyway, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, I get what you mean. Um, so everyone's putting their hands on this note, which is just insane to me. So let's read the note. I'm going to go over to, I used the sun a lot. It's, I think, out of the UK. But let me go to the In Touch Weekly. No, it's not In Touch Weekly. Okay, here we go. <clears throat> Statementanalysis.com. Mr. Ramsey, listen carefully. We are a group of individuals that represent a small foreign faction. Oh, and the language and spelling and like the dramatic exclamation points and stuff, I'm going to be posting an image of the note, the full note on Instagram for everybody to analyze. Uh, I'm just going to read it for y'all here. So we respect your business, but not the country that it serves. At this time, we have your daughter in our possession. She is safe and unharmed. And if you want her to see 1997, you must follow our instructions to the letter. You will withdraw $118,000 from your account. $100,000 will be made will be in $100 bills and the remaining $18,000 in $20 bills. Make sure that you bring an adequate size attached to the bank huh attache attache that's what they mean fancy (laughs) when you get home you will put the money in a brown paper bag i will call you between 8 and 10 a.m tomorrow to instruct you on delivery the delivery will be exhausting so i advise you to be rested if you if we monitor you getting the money early we might call you early to arrange an earlier delivery of the money and hence a er an Mm. The grammar is messing me up, but it says, hence a earlier pickup of your daughter. So not too great with the grammar here. Any deviation of my instructions will result in the immediate execution of your daughter. You will also be denied her remains for proper burial. The two gentlemen watching over your daughter do not particularly like you, so I advise you not to provoke them. Speaking to anyone about your situation, such as police, FBI, etc., will result in your daughter being beheaded. If we catch you talking to a stray dog, she dies. If you alert bank authorities, she dies. If the money is in any way marked or tampered with, she dies. You will be scanned for electronic devices, and if any are found, she dies. You can try to deceive us, but be warned that we are familiar with law enforcement and countermeasures and tactics. You stand a 99% chance of killing your daughter if you try to outsmart us. Follow our instructions, and you stand a 100% chance of getting her back. You and your family are under constant scrutiny, as well as the authorities. Don't try to grow a brain, John. You are not the only fat cat around, so don't think that killing will be difficult. Don't underestimate us, John. Use that good southern common sense of yours. It is up to you now, John. Victory SBTC. Initials. What the fuck? And this website goes on to analyze it, like, very deeply, um... And breaks down each line, so y'all can check that out online on the statementanalysis.com. Um, but we're going to move on from that for now, but we will dis- we will be discussing the note. It will be brought up again, Jill. Just, just know that. 
The language was so weird even back then, and having been some time, it's been found that some of the statements used in the note in the note is straight up copied and pasted from action movies of that time period. What? Yeah, so I stumbled upon that yesterday, and I was like, that's crazy. So for someone not familiar with writing ransom notes, it's pretty useful because Ransom with Mel Gibson and Rene Rousseau had just come out this year, 1996. And that's so convenient. But not only that, but lines from Dirty Harry and Speed are also recognized in this note. What the fuck? That is so (laughs) weird. Like, why even write it? Also, it's so long. Like, you would think it would just be like a quick, like, give me the money or she dies. And then it's like, yeah, they're like carrying on a conversation and like, like, I like tin early, you know, just let us know. (laughs) It like goes between evil villain like Disney and like cutesy so it's like oh i want one hundred thousand dollars in one hundred dollar bills and then the rest in like this much change it reminds me of uh whenever in mulan whenever mushu has uh the cricket fucking write the letter and he's like um by chance if you could please throw in some potpourri or some shit (laughs) yeah oh what does he say? We ain't got no time for stupid questions. <laughs> I should have your head for that. Oh, no, that's um. Oh, that's the wrong part. I messed yeah, up. But anyways, yes. Oh, cute. That's mm-hmm. better. Much better. Let's go. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um. Yeah. Seriously though, he's they're asking very specific things. It's just weird. So another weird thing that's like beyond insane in the note is the dollar amount. The asking amount is a specific $118,000, the exact amount of John Ramsey's Christmas bonus. That is so terrible. Like they were Who the, the fuck knew about that? They were like, yeah. "Oh, it's just chunk it's chump change. You you're you were you would do fine without this. Just hand it over." Yeah. <laughs> Your little Christmas bonus. So, the decorated language with so-called easy words misspelled and fancy words like properly spelled is weird. The notepad and pen are from inside the house. <laughs> um like and part of a practice note is found and so that's obviously suspicious. So they had time to freaking practice what they were going to write. And then um, this is what really made Patsy a suspect. If you weren't getting, that's where I was going um, in a lot of eyes. Handwriting analysis cleared John, but Patsy's was inconclusive. Inconclusive. How is how was that? I guess her handwriting was pretty close to the ransom notes handwriting, but they couldn't say for sure. Hmm. Um, so, um. That's just, I don't know, that just really bothers me. But the fact that everything's from inside the house, it's long, and it makes it makes sense, but it's just so extra. And, I mean, I'm not trying to be ugly or anything, but, like, Patsy, I don't know if she does, like, volunteering or, like, but you know how you get, I know how I get whenever I haven't written in a long time. I'm misspelling shit left and right. Oh, yeah. So, like, she doesn't really, she doesn't work. I'm not saying, like, she she's dumb but i'm just meaning like she, when's the last time she had to like write three pages of something yeah. <laughs> frantically and like mm-hmm. under pressure if she did it um she has since passed away so i'm not i'm not insinuating that that's rude and mean that's her child but anyway so as the investigation is winding up the time range mentioned on the note um between eight and ten stated when the so-called kidnappers would call 
uh, to work out the deal. And while the investigation is barely beginning, police and detectives begin leaving the Ramsey residence around 9.45 a.m. They're like, well, got to get home, warm up some tamales. You know how it is. I'll be back. (laughs) The fuck? Okay, this is a job. Like... I heard a long time ago that a lot of the police department was new or the people who were seasoned were on vacation because, like, they earned it, whatever. They're out of town. So everybody who was, like, super good at this stuff was gone, dude. Yeah, they're like, okay, it's Christmas. I earned this all year. Like, okay, you guys good? Okay, cool. We're out. But now we have these newbies um, just walking around, not really checking anything from what I'm seeing. And then they just start dipping at 945 because they're hungry for a snack. Like, oh, my God. So, like, okay, sorry, it's Christmas time and you have an important job. So they are starting to leave and one woman stays behind. Detective Linda Arndt, I'll bring her up again later, is left behind and didn't have extensive homicide or kidnapping experience. The house is full of their friends. I think it's only, like, four friends, but it just seems, like, chaotic. And there's no control over the crime scene. Not that they know it's a crime scene yet. John had been prepped on what to say when the kidnappers called. And the time range came and went, and nobody even acknowledged it. Oh, my goodness. Mm-mm. If I was the parents, I'd be like, they didn't call. Does that – they didn't yeah. call. You know what I mean? What I'd be fuck, like, that's not dude. a good sign. If they no longer need the need to call, then they no longer need the money. And if they no longer need the money, that means something. She's dead, yeah. What yeah, so – The detective is trying to keep the family from pulling their hair out, I guess, or maybe they're just like pacing and bothering her. So it's getting desperate. And she asked John to search through the house and see if anything was missing or out of place. Mm -mm. And he brings a friend along with him to add to the um, chaos. But anyway, so they're, they get sent out of the room while the detective is, I guess, still just deciding what to do next. And Detective Arndt appears uneasy as she talks about when John found John Binet. So here we go. It's got to be traumatizing to see whether it's your child or not. So disturbing. And I will say she sounds and has similar mannerisms to Detective Clarice Starling from Silence of the Lambs. I did oh, notice that. Oh, Lord. So if you check out uh, Detective Linda Arndt, you'll know what I'm talking about. But Dang. Anyway, she's just really cool, but whatever. So John took a friend with him and they are searching the house. Um, When they get to the basement, John opens the door and he says he knows immediately that he found her. She was lying on a white blanket that was wrapped around her. She had tape over her mouth and her hands were tied with cords above her head. Hmm. He didn't hesitate to grab her and take the tape off of her mouth. He struggled to untie the cords and couldn't get them undone. And Detective Arndt sees John carrying Jean Benet up the last three steps of stairs, and she looked like she was asleep in his arms. Arndt leaned down and asked John to set her set her down, and she confirmed that Jean Benet was deceased. Oh my goodness. And they made eye contact at that moment, and she said that she felt her gun holstered under her arm and confirmed in her mind that she had 18 bullets. What the fuck? She said it felt very intense at that moment and that they might not all make it out of there. What? And she was scared of John. Um, she doesn't say it. There's a longer interview, and I'm going to bring up the interview again later on. But there's a long interview of the detective, Linda Arndt, talking to, I think it's ABC or something. And she just feels, she keeps insinuating that she thinks she knows who it is. And it's pretty clear that she means John. So she's afraid of John. 
and what he's capable of because he's even able to like carry his daughter up the stairs if he did it and he's able to like do that like what else is he capable of you know mm-hmm. anyways so she feels very scared and she has her gun and she's like okay if anything is about to pop off because now jean benet is dead so it's a whole nother can of worms yeah so here's this detective here alone, not really knowing how to handle this heavy situation, plus the idea Jean Benet was killed by her father, who might kill her since she sees that he's found her. Mm. And he's the one who found her. So how awkward is that? So she's just like going through all these scenarios in her head while freaking out. And internally, though, because she's professional. And did the cops not search all the rooms? Because John goes on to find her laying on the ground. So it's like, did they even open all the doors to see if there was a way someone in, like, an intruder got in? I don't know. Jeez. Oh, my God. That whole fucking thing is just, I had not heard um, about that detective, though. So that's interesting. I didn't know that there was, that they thought it would be him. And she, yeah, she said that just that initial, seeing that initial interaction between John Bonet's corpse, you know, I hate to say it, but it's her corpse and her father. And she just got like a weird gut feeling, which I will ask your opinion about it um, when I talk about the longer interview. John goes on to lay Jean Bonet on the living room floor, I think by the Christmas tree. And he then grabs a blanket and puts it over her body. And Patsy is being kept out of the room at this point, but she has heard what they found and she comes in anyway she was distraught and even for days after she was distraught like she couldn't say a word without like tears welling in her eyes but i can't imagine seeing a christmas tree the same way ever again i'll just say that so sad so the mystery remains who killed jean benet ramsey uh from the beginning something seemed off for one the ransom note was too long investigators are confused because How can a criminal feel comfortable enough to find a notepad in the home and take their sweet time to express in a two and a half page note that they want the bonus money that John had made? And the Ramsey's behavior didn't help and the tabloids were just going nuts. So at this point, Jean Benet gets buried in Atlanta, Georgia on December 31st and they still haven't given the Ramsey's a formal I'm going to just say interrogation because, I mean, if no one's in the house, no one got in the house, the suspects have to be the ones that were in the house. Right. And um, so, yeah, so the excuse Patsy gave on when they, when they asked them, they really press for this in the interviews, like, did you kill your daughter? And Patsy gives this excuse of how John lost a child in a car accident in a previous marriage, and she's a cancer survivor. She says that with being on the brink of death, your priorities align. But the two motives the investigators are weighing are Patsy snapped or John is a pedophile and was abusing his daughter. And oh. both of those things just seem very far, far reaching. And John puts it this way, uh, John Ramsey, when he was asked about it, he was like, there has been no history in the household of any kind of abuse. Why would uh, like someone turn into a monster and murder their child and do horrible things to them all in one night? It doesn't make sense. So they're, they're framing it to where like, of course we didn't do it, but everyone is speculating and it's just bonkers. So we can discuss later, but if not the parents, who else? Burke was nine and... He was interviewed by a child psychologist, and we can discuss that as well. He was not interviewed, though, until he was 11, so two years later. What the fuck? 
Right. I mean, and as a kid, you have memories going in and out of your brain at all times. I'm not sure if he really remembers, unless it was that like traumatizing of a thing, which means he might have been involved, which we will get to that later too. Mm-hmm. Um, if an intruder took JonBenet out of bed, why? And if someone really planned to kidnap her for a ransom, what happened? What went wrong? Like they didn't need the money after all, I guess. And um, so I finished part one pretty early, but I'm going to go ahead and keep going. Damn. Make sure you guys, yeah, I like blew through that. I'm surprised, but what else? Oh, actually, let me go ahead and mention this. In the days following when they found her. So we're going to go through a timeline on biography.com of all the events in case I missed anything. And then I will elaborate on certain parts. Okay, so December 25th, 1996, the Ramseys attend a Christmas party at a family friend's house. Jean Benet gets a bike for Christmas. After attending a Christmas party hosted by the family friend Fleet White, the Ramseys go home and Jean Benet goes to bed, as I mentioned. Some theories say that she snuck back downstairs and fought with her brother over a late night snack of pineapple. And we will discuss that as well. Mm -hmm. December 26th. So here's the day of with the timestamps. 5.30 a.m., Patsy gets up to make coffee, discovers a a two-and-a-half-page written, uh, handwritten ransom note on the back stairs leading to the kitchen that says her daughter has been kidnapped. And she calls 911. Before 6 a.m., police officer Rick French arrives at the home and does a search. He pauses by the door that Jean Benet was later found behind, but doesn't open it. I wonder why he paused. Weird. If she was alive and he heard, like, the faintest sound. Oh, I'm, okay, I'm sick over that. Stop it. Anyways. Stop it. I didn't know, I didn't know he, I mean, of course, people might sensationalize it or, you know, be like, well, I did feel really weird when I passed by that door after the fact, you know what I mean? Yeah. But still, that's not good. So, early afternoon that day, the first detective on the scene, Linda Arndt, pulls aside John and White, who had come over to console his friends. Arndt tells them to do a top-to-bottom search of the home. It was during that search that John opened the door to the basement's spare room, ironically where the Christmas presents had been hidden, and saw Jean Benet's body. Mm-mm. It looked like she had been strangled and her mouth and neck were covered with duct tape. He picked up the body and ran screaming upstairs. Arndt later moved the body closer to the Christmas tree upstairs by bringing her upstairs and leaving the basement door open. Much of the evidence became tainted. God damn it. 10.45 p.m., the Boulder County coroner's team removed the young girl's body from the house. Oh, she was there all day. And I will get into what um, what happened throughout that day here in a second. The Ramseys cooperate with authorities on December 28th and the family goes to the Boulder police station and they willingly give hair, blood, and handwriting samples. The police later state that John's grown children, John, Andrew, and Melinda were out of town when the murder occurred, so are not suspected. And he did have a third child and she died in her 20s during a car accident. So that's what um, Mrs. Ramsey was referring to earlier. Mm -hmm. Um. December 29th, 1996, the family flies to Atlanta, and people had a lot to say about this. They figured, in the Ramsey's eyes, they are prioritizing burying their daughter and grieving. In the public's eyes, the Ramsey's should have been pretty much up the police department's ass about what the fuck went on here. Right. And they didn't do that. So the day after all of this, so JonBenet's body gets 
taken out of the home that night at like 1045, like they said. And literally, John has already arranged for a plane to pick them up the next day to take them to Atlanta. What the f- And so people thought that was weird. Like, he's ready to just, like, get out of there when he needs to stick around, you know, in case somebody pops up and has something to say or, like, knows something. But no. So they thought that was weird. The Ramseys go back to their former hometown of Atlanta. And on December 31st, 1996, Jean Benet's funeral is held. And the six-year-old is laid to rest in Marietta, Georgia, next to her older half-sister, Elizabeth, who had died in a tragic car accident in 1992. About 200 family and friends attend a ceremony at the family's old church. January 1st, 1997, John and Patsy give a New Year's Day interview. And this pissed everybody off too because they are too sad to talk to the police and yet willing to give an interview on air to CNN. Of course. So JonBenet's parents give a very difficult 45-minute long interview to CNN from Atlanta. So CNN's people like flew out there and just on a whim were like, are you willing to sit with us and talk? And they were just like, yeah. And it was very shocking to them too because like I said, the police were very vocal about how they've yet to do full interviews with the Ramses because they're grieving right now and it's very tough. And so here they are and they're just ready to be on TV. And um mm-hmm. So they're staying with family in Atlanta, and they get interviewed by CNN. While the Boulder police had been reassuring the community there wasn't a murderer on the run, Patsy said on television, there is a killer on the loose. If I were a resident of Boulder, I would tell my friends to keep keep your babies close to you. There's someone out there. What the fuck? Oh, my God. So complete opposite. And um, I'm not really sure how it affected the community, but obviously, like, it's the opposite of what the police are saying. So... The police either are just being lazy and they don't want people to panic or something's going on. She added, America is suffering because they've lost faith in the American family, citing the example of the mystery of what really happened with the O.J. Simpson case. We are a Christian, God-fearing family. We love our children. We would do anything for our children. January 2nd, 1997, investigators follow the family to Georgia. A team of five detectives from Boulder fly to Atlanta, according to CNN. Investigators were shocked that the Ramseys granted the TV interview since they had claimed to be too emotional to talk to the police. And January 3rd, 1997, detectives reveal the ransom note was written inside the house. So nobody knew that up until January 3rd. Detectives announced that the note was written on a paper pad from inside the house, meaning it was likely written after the murder. John and Patsy returned to Boulder. Boulder cops also go to Charlevoix, Michigan, Charlevoix, Mm. to search through a summer home that the Ramseys own. January 6, 1997, school resumes at JonBenet's school. After the Christmas and New Year holidays, class resumes at JonBenet's former school. Teachers and counselors help the young children to try to understand what happened, even though it continues to be a mystery. That is so sad. Yeah. Her classmates have since been interviewed and stuff, and they're, you know, they have families now, and they always mention, like, she didn't get to really... She didn't live her life at all and get to be where they, they're at. So they have like some survivor's guilt over it, even though I'm not saying it could have been anybody, but they still feel sad that it happened to her. Yeah. January 8th, 1997, news comes out that there may have been a practice ransom note. Reportedly, there is evidence that the person who wrote the ransom note first practiced it on another piece of paper. I just don't understand. <laughs> Was how? it like, oh, the pin's not working? Or, like, those situations. probably uh, 
yeah like they're they started out and they're like no 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 not this way let's let's change right the- right they're like what do we want the tone to be they yes. like really thought it through like yes. okay weird they went a very aggressive route um February 27th, 1997, John Bonet's half-brother is questioned. The alibi of John Andrew is re-examined even though he was allegedly out of town when it happened. March 7th, 1997, a handwriting analysis eliminates John, but not Patsy. Based on expert analysis, detectives confirm that John didn't write the ransom note, but say there is a chance Patsy may have. I wonder what she thought about that. Well, I'm sure she did not like it. The police search the Ramsey's Michigan home again on March 8th, and they head back reportedly looking for unrehearsed handwriting samples to see if Patsy wrote the ransom note. So she was maybe trying to change her hand. She was like, no, that looks too similar to my hand. Oh, that makes more sense. Yes. Or, you know, put it in your left hand or something, you know? Yeah, but then it looks like a child wrote it. I mean, true, but then they can't identify you. That's true. Um, April 3rd, 1997. DNA testing takes place and I'm not specific, I'm not sure like where we were at technology wise on the DNA, but it does change later on. So multiple DNA testings take place just forewarning. While there had already been a DNA test done by the Colorado Bureau of Investigation, a secondary one was done by Maryland's Cellmark Laboratories, according to Denver Post. April 19th, John Bonet's parents become the prime suspects. John and Patsy become the prime suspects of the investigation, according to CNN. Obviously, the focus is on these people, Boulder's DA Alex Hunter says. Ooh, speaking of Alex Hunter, I'm pretty sure he was the district attorney this whole investigation. But at one point, maybe they will mention it on here, but a jury of people were in on this and they were going to try to get John and Patsy Ramsey for endangering a child or something along those lines. And the DA, Alex Hunter, did not sign off sign off on it because there wasn't enough evidence. Oh, my God. Or maybe he was paid. Ooh. April 30th, 1997, Patsy is questioned for six and a half hours. Formal interviews are conducted with John for two hours and Patsy for six and a half. These are new statements that replace the initial ones made right after the murder. But they've had some time to, like, mull it over. It's been months. Yeah. So May 2nd, John and Patsy speak to local media. The victim's parents talk to the local press, including Nine News. John stumbles over his daughter's name and addresses the rumors of her possibly being sexual molest- sexually molested, calling those the most hurtful innuendos. Patsy says, I'm appalled that anyone would think that John or I would be involved with such a hideous and heinous crime. But let me assure you, I didn't kill John Bonet. That is, oh my god, having to say that is shitty. Like, if she, I know, if they didn't actually do it, like, that's any kind of defensiveness is just not a good look for this kind of thing, especially. And there are so many, I didn't watch any of them, but um, on YouTube, there's a lot of expression analysis and statement analysis people that like really break down, like, oh, John shook his head yes but said no so he's lying you know those kinds of things yeah so since then there have been a lot more um read of the of the of the ramses being read um in and out so may 14th the dna results have no surprises sources report that there are no surprises in the results of the dna test but don't specify what that means great July 12th, JonBenet's bedroom furniture is moved to Atlanta. The formal child beauty queen's belongings are moved across the country on a moving truck. 
ooh, here we go. The autopsy reports are released on July 14th. That mm. was a long time. For them to release them. I'm, mm. I'm wondering if that's because of all the fake confession stuff that happens. Oh, maybe. When people are like, I killed her. And they're like, yeah, I stabbed her. And they're like, well, there was no stab wounds. So I see what you're saying. Yeah. So they really try to hold it as long as they can, which can hinder. And I will say like it, it can hinder the investigation in some ways, but help it in other ways. Yeah. And uh, I'll, with that being said, give that little thing a rest. Uh, there's more. So there's a long timeline on biography.com. But I just wanted to get the, mostly the days following her murder because the sketchy behavior of her parents did not help people already suspected them of possibly being involved, if not the killers being involved mm -hmm. with the killers. So I feel like, where's my paper? Oh. Mm. Paula Woodard is a journalist. I used uh, ABC's 2020. There was one done in, there was one done in like 2012 and one done in like 2008 or something. And I watched a few of them. And this journalist lady, investigative journalist, Paula Woodard suggested that the, that Patsy and John should have been individually interviewed right away. Yeah. Like formally. And I mean, grieving or not, it's important, like, to know every detail. Like, what was she wearing when you put her to bed? Things like that have to be done, like, fresh. Yes. Regardless of if, you know, they're suspects. But, of course, they didn't do that. So, they lawyered up and then um, went to Atlanta. So, they were just already ready for the the police, which is a defensive move, in my opinion. But, I mean, of course, you're going to get a lawyer. It's your house. Yeah. And your child. My God. So days go by before they are questioned at all, and then years go by, two years to be exact, before Burke is seen by a psychologist and asked about that night. What else? Ooh, I'm so excited. Okay, so it sucks that I'm, like, excited about this case because it's just so devastating and horrible, but it's just so much to go over and break it down, so... I'm going to go ahead and cut us off here for part one, guys. We have many, many, many details to go over in the next episode. So tune in on Monday for the conclusion of this episode and this case. Well, there is no conclusion to the case. It's still an open case and it's still driving everybody insane. What might have happened to John Bonet that night? So check out part two where we discuss all of the findings the morning after Christmas Day and what that might mean for John Bonet's case. Thank you guys for listening and stay safe out there. Happy holidays. So did we give you the creeps?